Melody, and today I will be reading Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Hey, Grace 242. The date is October 31st, 1517. The location? is Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. A 33-year-old disgruntled professor of theology nails an invitation to debate to the public billboard of the day, the doors of the Wittenberg Church. This event was the spark that ignited a protest, a protest against the corruptions of the Catholic Church, a protest against the Pope and clergymen as political elites, a protest against the withholding of worship and the Bible from the vernacular. A protest against the sale of indulgences. A protest against salvation by works. A protest that resulted in the line of Protestant churches that exists worldwide today. These protest ant churches would go on to reform themselves around the essentials of the faith. They would reform themselves around Christ. They would reform themselves around the Bible. They would reform themselves around salvation by grace, through faith. They would reform themselves around the glory of God. And their reforming produced the reformed faith tradition, of which we are a part to this very day. These two terms are core to identity at Grace 242. We are Protestant and we are Reformed. Today, we carry on our protest against strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 to 5. Today, we protest our sinful want to drift away from Christ. As the author of Hebrews says in chapter 2, verse 1, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. And today, we carry on our Reformed tradition reforming around the essentials, namely Christ crucified. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23a, but we preach Christ crucified. We carry on our reform tradition when we cling to the essential core that ought never change, while at the same time demonstrating a willingness to change everything else. We are always reforming the church around Christ, around His Word, around His Great Commission, and around his gospel of grace through faith. Today, we begin a new series on Reformed theology called The OG Protest, where we're gonna be looking at original gangsters, 
like Luther, like Knox, Zwingli, and Calvin. The movement started by this men is a movement of which we are a part today. And we're going to look at that movement paying close attention to what we believe, which can be described as Reformed theology. Today, we begin a series on what we believe. Today, we begin a series on Reformed theology. Now, before I go any further, I want to make this seemingly redundant point, and here it is. Reformed theology is a theology. Reformed theology is a theology. Reformed theology is not a religion. Now, what do I mean by Reformed theology is a theology? Turn with me to Exodus 32. This is a crucial moment in Israel's history that illustrates beautifully the difference between a theology and a religion. And as you turn there, let me set this up for you. God has broken Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he's led them to this site in the middle of the wilderness called Mount Sinai. And we hear a lot about Mount Sinai. That's because Mount Sinai is critical to understanding the biblical narrative. It's at Mount Sinai that God is covenanting with his people, where he is laying out how God will relate to his people, how his people are going to relate to God, and how the Israelite people are going to relate to other people, other nations. I like to think of Mount Sinai as the Old Testament version of the greatest commandment. In the New Testament, Jesus lays out the great commandment in Matthew 22, and we'll read verses 37 to 39. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And look at this bonus verse, verse 40. He connects it back to the Old Testament. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The great commandment has two elements. Love God and love others. And it's at Mount Sinai that God covenants with his people, showing them how they are to love Yahweh and love the nations around them. Now let's pick up the story in Exodus 32. But before we read that, let's read the last verse of Exodus 31. This is Exodus 31, verse 18. When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, written by the finger of God. So for context, God has given Moses the instructions, the covenant on the stone tablets that instruct Israel how they are to relate to God and how they are to relate to others, the greatest commandment in the Old Testament. Now, let's pick it up and we'll read Exodus 32, verses 1 to 6. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. I want us to notice the contrast. 
between Moses up on the mountain at the end of chapter 31 and the people of Israel down in base camp at the foot of Mount Sinai in the beginning of chapter 32. Moses has just received the covenant from God. He's been with God and he's received God's covenant. Conversely, the people in base camp say, that Moses has been gone far too long. Aaron, make us some gods we can see. Make us some gods we can worship. Look at verse 1. They say, make us some gods who can lead us. So Aaron takes all of the gold, all of the jewelry, melts it all down, and then he fashions a golden calf for them to worship. And look at the people's response in Exodus 32, verses 5 and 6. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. I remember watching this moment depicted in the old Charlton Heston Ten Commandments. I watched that movie many times as a kid. And I remember they're depicting this moment based off of this single phrase in verse 6, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Only the movie took this single little phrase and really expanded it out in dramatic fashion. And I remember they had all this flowery language that the narrator used. And I'll see if I can quote the movie as I remember it sounding in my head. The narrator said, They did eat the bread of wickedness and drank the wine of violence. And they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> That's how I kind of remember the movie sounding. But this is a horrible moment for Israel. Very poor. Here's the contrast I want to draw for us. Theology is God-centered. Conversely, religion is human-centered. Moses, up on the mountain, is engaged in theology. He is meeting with God face-to-face, -face, as Exodus tells us a few chapters later. He is receiving God's promises, God's covenant, God's instructions for how Moses and the people will relate to Yahweh. He is engaged in a relationship with God. Moses is doing theology. The Dictionary of Bible Themes defines theology as simply the study of God. The Greek word for theology literally translates to the science of God. The Lexham Glossary of Theology says that theology is the study of God or the investigation of God. Theology is God-centered. Conversely, religion is human-centered. The people say, Psh, that guy Moses, he left us a long time ago. Hey, Aaron, make us some new gods. Make us some gods that we can see. Make us some gods that we can worship in our own way. Make us some gods that we have control over. Make us some gods that we can relate to on our own terms. This way, we have total control. We're the ones who are fashioning and forming the gods. We choose what image to form and fashion those gods in. We choose how we worship them. We make them so that we can now see them. That Moses, he keeps going up to the mountain to meet with this unseen God. And every time he comes back, he brings with him covenantal rules and regulations from that unseen God. How are we supposed to relate to that? And why would we want to relate to that unseen God on his terms when we can make our own visible seen gods and relate to them on our terms. This way we have total control. Theology is God-centered. Religion is human-centered. While Moses was engaged in theology, the people of Israel created a religion 
Rather than submitting to God's covenant, they created a system of worship that they could control. Israel's sin in Exodus 32 is the sin of idolatry. The people worshiped the created things instead of their creator, as Romans 1 verse 25 says. They diverted their gaze away from Yahweh and onto something they had made. They diverted their gaze away from the theological and onto the religion of their own creation. They diverted their gaze toward something they made, toward a creation of human beings and away from the theological, away from their creator. Now, I don't like birds to begin with. In my opinion, birds are sort of like little sewage plants in the sky, and this bird, the cuckoo, does nothing to help my opinion on birds. Have you ever heard of this bird, the cuckoo? This demon bird lays its eggs in other birds' nests, and the cuckoo's eggs have a shorter incubation period, so in all likelihood, the cuckoo's eggs hatch before the eggs of the native nest, and with the very first breaths, that these little demons take, they push the native eggs out of the nest. So they hijack other birds' nests. They are parasites. Religion is also parasitic. It takes something that is God-centered and it hijacks it for our own human purposes. It takes the study of God, the pursuit of God, the knowledge of God, relationship with God, worship of God, and it hijacks it for our own human ends. Israel took God's covenant, a way of relating to Yahweh on Yahweh's terms. And they said, we don't like this. Let's create our own gods and our own means to worship them. Let's create something that's on our terms instead of God's terms. Going back to our original gangster Luther and the start of the Reformation, God used these men to realize that theology had been lost and that religion had wormed its way into the church. The institutions of humankind and the values of sinful humanity, things like money, things like power, things like status, had parasitically hijacked the church for human ends. Many of you are familiar with the sale of indulgences that was happening at Luther's time. Pope Leo X was building the Cathedral of St. Petersburg and he needed capital for the project. So Leo enlists the help of a monk named Johann Tetzel, and thus the abusive sale of indulgences became the primary fundraising campaign. There was seemingly no boundary that Tetzel was unwilling to cross in his campaign to sell indulgences. Indulgences were sold to forgive sins. They were sold to release someone's relative who had died from purgatory. It was said that the soul would leave purgatory for heaven the moment one could hear the penny hit the bottom. Indulgences were even sold to cover future sin. The sale of indulgences illustrates the parasitic nature of religion, doesn't it? Indulgences show how something God-centered can be hijacked for human ends, in this case, to raise capital to build a cathedral. One of the reasons I'm so excited about this series is that it speaks to the history of so many of us here at Grace 242. One of the intriguing facts about our congregation's makeup is that an overwhelming majority of us spent time, significant time, in our past in an environment that was thoroughly religious. I think the percentage might be as high as 80% of our people who spent 
significant portions of their life in a church context that was thoroughly religious and completely lacking theologically. We went to church, but at the end of the day, we didn't meet with God, we didn't know who God was, and we didn't cultivate a relationship with Him. We had no relationship with God, and we were left in want. Instead, we did human things for human ends. My hope is that this series would prompt you to reflect on turning away from religion and turning toward the theological, turning toward God, turning toward Yahweh. Back to the seemingly redundant point that I made earlier, Reformed theology is a theology, meaning Reformed theology is about God. Reformed theology is about pursuing God. Reformed theology is about learning God. Reformed theology is about cultivating a relationship with God. Reformed theology is about the pursuit of finding out who God is. That's Reformed theology. As we discuss Reformed theology, my hope is that you would meet with God just like Moses went up to Mount Sinai to meet with God. My hope is that you would deepen your relationship with God, that you would learn God, that you would catch a glimpse for who God is, and that you would be blessed in pursuing God. Next week, we'll see that Reformed theology is not a ritual. Reformed theology is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't want to miss it. See you next time, Grace 242. Love.